right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we are talking about Orion and the Dark, a new animated movie from DreamWorks Animation and Netflix, which is co-written by my favorite, Charlie Kaufman. If you're a longtime listener to the show, you know I bring up Charlie Kaufman all the time, and uh, it's always a big deal when we get to actually cover something from him. So uh, even though he only co-wrote this, uh, it's still a really fun one to get into, and it's a good movie. You should check it out if you haven't watched it yet. Joining me to talk about it is film critic Josh Bell from Awesome Movie Year, and we have a great conversation, lots of great puzzle pieces to get into, including maybe a couple of other Charlie Kaufman projects. We'll see. But uh, yeah, that's coming up here in a second. Before we get to it, I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. We have a whole bunch of episodes in the can right now. Uh, you can find them on the Patreon, by the way, produced by David Rosen Patreon, where I have bonus and advanced content from Piecing It Together, Awesome Movie Year, and my music career. I think we're at six episodes I'm sitting on at the moment, so... You know, if you want early access, check it out on the Patreon. It's patreon.com slash by David Rosen. But of course, also make sure you are just subscribed on your podcast app of choice. So that way you'll get all these episodes as they hit the main feed. You could also follow us on social media at PiecingPod to find out what we're up to and join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. With that said... Let's get into our conversation about Orion and the Dark. All right, it's time to face all of Josh Bell's fears because we are going to talk about Orion and the Dark. Josh, welcome to Peace. Oh, Together. how much time do you have on this podcast, Dave? Because that's going to be a <laughs> large undertaking if we're doing that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I'm happy to have you here. I'm happy to be talking about this movie. Obviously, it's always a major event, anything Charlie Kaufman related for me. And it doesn't happen very often since the start of piecing it together. So uh, it's exciting to be talking about something that he wrote and also first time in a long time that he wrote something he didn't direct. Yeah, I mean, didn't you end up having to do an episode on his novel just to get some Charlie Kaufman <laughs> content on your podcast? <laughs> Absolutely. One of our most popular episodes, surprisingly. I'm guessing there's not a lot of podcasts out there that bothered to read the book. Right, but, you know, right. Uh, and you read a yeah. book, which is an amazing feat for you. Amazing. Who would have thought? But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm here for all the Charlie Kaufman stuff, and uh, I, I'm excited to get into this one. Uh, I, I think there's going to be like a lot of different things to get into as we go you know into this and get through puzzle pieces so we might as well just jump right into it and get into puzzle pieces what do you have for your first piece well i'm going to start with a pixar movie i feel like you could probably just name pixar in general and i've seen different um references and different reviews and stuff but the one that stuck out to me most is monsters inc mm -hmm. and i feel like the central theme here the idea that this figure that is scary and that people are want to like feel antagonistic toward is really just kind of nice and cuddly and wants people to be friends with it. And, you know, that's kind of what you get in Monsters, Inc. Once the monsters actually start interacting with the little girl and realize that, uh, you know, they shouldn't be afraid of her and she shouldn't be afraid of them and they can actually get along. And that's kind of what happens here between Orion and Dark. And I mean, the movie overall, even though it's a DreamWorks movie, definitely is going for that kind of Pixar 
feel it seems like and i mean yeah. which is which is good and i generally prefer pixar movies to dreamworks movies anyway so i'm happy to see that um but i i think monsters inc 2 has some good like emotional resonance like you care about those characters being able to uh, being able to bond the monsters and the little girl. And, and of course, it also has the the somewhat standard uh, animated kids movie thing where because of what they've done, they've, you know, upended the way that the world works sure. and everything yeah. is going to be thrown into chaos. And we get that in this movie, too, in a kind of perfunctory way, which I wonder if that's something that maybe was thrown in after uh, Kaufman's draft was turned sure. in. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you could name other Pixar, Pixar movies, but I'm going to go with Monsters, Inc. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to name some others because right. uh, we, we might as well just combine them at the top of the show here because, yeah, I mean, obviously Inside Out, I think, is the one that most people will go to, but with all these emotions being personified, and uh, that that is a really uh, easy one to go with. I also was thinking of Soul, uh, which I think is a really good one. Like, I think that's the last one that I really loved from Pixar. And uh, just the overlapping layers of existence that kind of play out and how they all kind of influence one another in Soul, that made me think of Orion in the Dark and the way that there's the storytelling uh, wraparound story, so to speak, as well as, uh, you know, once they have to like go inside the mind of Orion and stuff like that. So like there's different layers that are all kind of affecting each other. So I think Monsters, Inc. is a great one to include here too. Inside Out, Soul, I, like you said, there's probably others that we could throw in there too. But um, yeah, it does feel like, and we know this is, you know, based on a book too. So there is source material as well. Then there's Charlie Kaufman's draft and there's whatever DreamWorks did on top of that. And th there's so many different layers of where the story comes from. But I think that overall they were going for a very heavy Pixar feel. That, that feeling of like, wacky kids animated movie that also the adults in the audience start tearing up during, which is, I mean, if that's not a Pixar movie, what is, you know? Right. And I think most DreamWorks movies don't necessarily go for that, that if they're reaching adults, it's because they have like a lot of dumb, like pop culture references that, <laughs> right. that older people will recognize versus kids will recognize. And I don't know, maybe I'm not giving DreamWorks enough credit. And actually I have a DreamWorks movie on my list, so maybe I should be uh, more generous to them. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, let's go to another one. What do you got next? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to hold off and leave, uh, leave one maybe that you might get to, but, uh, let's just do DreamWorks. Why not? Uh, sure. so sticking with animation, I have uh, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, which is a DreamWorks movie that deals with serious themes about facing mortality and wondering whether you've done something valuable with your life and a lot of heavy stuff within the context of this silly Shrek spinoff. And yeah. I think when that movie came out in, I guess, I think it was 2022, uh, a lot of people were just surprised at how serious it was and how multi-layered that story was. And I mean, it also looks really good, which this movie unfortunately does not. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's one thing that obviously they didn't have the animation budget of bigger DreamWorks productions. And it looks fine, but it's definitely not the creativity of the visuals don't match the creativity of the story. I don't think necessarily, mm. but, um, but certainly Puss in Boots showed that DreamWorks 
could give you something that hits all of their familiar beats of the ridiculous wacky characters and obviously all the the fairy tale stuff that we have in the Shrek movies, but also had some real character development, had some serious heavy themes that adults could appreciate. It weren't just pop culture jokes. And I wonder if I, you know, I don't know how the process is and it takes a long time to make an animated movie, but I know Charlie Kaufman wrote this a long time ago. And I almost wonder if thanks to the success of Puss in Boots, they thought, hey, you know what? We can actually make that Charlie Kaufman movie because yeah. people are open to this. So who knows? Maybe not. But it definitely reminded me of it. The dog scene in uh, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish is is so good. Um, but you would imagine that Charlie Kaufman's probably scared of dogs. So he didn't include <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that is that is that one of Orion's fears. Does he mention dogs? I, you know what? I think he did at one point. Uh, yeah, it seems like something he'd be scared. of. Right. But, I mean, uh, they could bite him or whatever. So, yeah, it definitely seems possible. Just to go on a quick tangent, like talking about the animation quality, because I agree, it's not exactly great here. And uh, something I've noticed in like the last few like big animated movies that I've watched is there's always like either dream sequences or something that go into like a unique kind of hand-drawn 2D animation. And it's like, why can't the whole movie be that? Like, <laughs> that looks so cool, you know? Right. I mean, we get the dream sequences in the same style, I think, of animation here. But we do get yeah. the little sketchbook stuff from Orion yes. when he's drawing his fears. Yeah. And that's that's just kind of brief in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, that stuff is so much fun. But uh, yeah. I, I'll go with Yes Man for a puzzle piece as far as like movies about like getting out of your shell and like learning to, you know, just take all the good with the bad by just going out and experiencing life, even if life is going to be scary and even if it's going to get you into trouble. And obviously this being an animated kids movie, you know, it gets ridiculous and wacky as a Jim Carrey movie would. And uh, so I think that they're both examples of just, uh, you know, kind of taking the scariness and just kind of making it very over the top and, and silly and ridiculous. And, uh, you know, both kind of lend themselves to that kind of a self-helpness, I guess, in a way. But this one doing it in a much more fantastical way because it is animated. Right. I think that Jim Carrey movie, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I think it actually is based essentially on a self-help book. Like it's based yes. on a nonfiction book about a guy who really did that, not in the Jim Carrey wacky way, but in a more normal person way. Yeah. Then um, they then they heighten it all and it goes, you know. Right, right. Sure. Um and that phrase that they use in this movie that that Orion's mom tells him like feel the fear and do it anyway or whatever. Yeah. That's totally from a real self-help book. I'm pretty sure it really is. So, yeah. you know, there's definitely that tone going on here. Also a Jason Isbell song, Be Afraid, Do It Anyway. But uh, yeah. anyway, <laughs> let's let's go on to your next piece. What do you got next? All right. Well, uh, I'm going to go with the French film Petit Maman, the Celine Sciamma film, and specifically the idea that we get into later here in the film with Orion's daughter um, when they when she sort of like teams up with child Orion and the idea of the child version of a parent becoming friends with their own child. And mm -hmm. that's the storyline of Petit Maman. It's uh, sort of a magical realist thing. And uh, this little girl, um, her grand, I think it's her grandmother dies and she goes with her mom to the grandmother's old house and kind of walks through the woods to the neighbor. And somehow the neighbor is the young version of her mom. And they're played by actual like, like twin actors and they play together. And it's a very sweet 
Um, you know, it has this fantastical premise, but it's not really about time travel or whatever. They never really explain why why it's happening. It's just about parents and children and how the young version of yourself can change, but also be reflected in the older version of yourself. And, you know, there's this line where Hypatia, Orion's daughter, says to the adult version, she's like, I always wondered if you and I would be friends if we yeah. were the same age. And it's kind of a weird thing to think about your parent. But then it goes through that in this film. And I, you know, that is the whole story, really, of that other movie. But um, it's definitely exploring some of those same themes. Yeah, I, I actually never saw it, but I remember when it came out, everybody loved it. And I was thinking about that as far as like, you know, that kind of thing. I don't know if there's a, I mean, you know, you could think of things like, you know, Back to the Future and stuff like that. But like, I don't know about a, a movie where they specifically team up in the way that they do here in Ryan in the Dark. So that's a good example of that. So uh, glad you brought that one in here. Um, I will go to Christopher Nolan and Interstellar uh, for my next piece. Um once Orion, he's he's kind of, uh, you know, gotten dark into a situation where he ends up getting extinguished by light. And then they have to go and, like, get dark back because, as you were saying, like, the world's ending, basically, because right. uh, there's, there's no more dark and everything's all out of whack. So the only way to get him back is they have to, like, go into his dreams, which are basically memories. And, you know, every all of everybody's powers are able to get, you know, used in this way. And... It feels a little interstellarish because uh, he's going back into his own mind and trying to influence, you know, the 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 people back in these earlier scenes, and uh, so it felt a little bit like the whole Tesseract thing in, in Interstellar, where you got Matthew McConaughey banging on the wall and you know expecting his daughter to be able to get that message through. And so I definitely was thinking of that. And you could also combine it with a little bit of Inception because of the whole dream within the dream and the different layers with the stories being told. Yeah, I thought about Inception there with the way that they're going into the dreams and influencing, you know, when they go into that random lady's dream and Orion starts saying things and suddenly she's having the nightmare about the cucumber monster at the dentist yeah, or whatever. I like that. Um, <laughs> and I mean, going back to what I was saying about Petit Maman too, in, in Interstellar, the idea of the parent and the child interacting when they're the same age, they're not children, they're both adults, right? But I mean, I haven't seen it in a while, but Matthew McConaughey and Jessica Chastain. Oh, that's right, yeah. You know, have that interaction where she's she's his daughter, but because of the whatever stuff, quantum whatever in that movie, <laughs> the Nolan you know, shit. <laughs> you know they are able to, to communicate with each other while they're both at that same point in their lives. So, you know, that's another thing that we have going on here maybe. Yeah, no, absolutely. Another way to connect them for sure. What do you got for your next piece? All right. Well, I am going to go with The Princess Bride. And oh, yeah. I think that is a movie that, you know, we have the storytelling aspect of this film that is important. And, you know, when we it, it gets very meta and, uh, you know, kind of uh, complex. But when we first encounter it, it's simply adult Orion telling this kind of bedtime story to his daughter and she's commenting on it. And, you know, there's a lot of that in The Princess Bride and and especially the idea, I think, early in when she's first talking about it and she's like, 
I know what you're trying to get me to do or what yeah. you're trying to get me to feel here and it's not going to work, but, but don't stop telling the story. And I think there's a lot of that with Fred Savage and Peter Falk and the princess bride where it's like, Oh, come on, grandpa, you're going to try to, you know, make me feel better like this, or you're going to make me trick me into liking the kissing parts or whatever, but sure. don't stop. Don't stop reading. I want to know what happens next. So, um, you know, he never goes into the story or anything like that in that movie, but, um, there's, there's that kind of nice family bonding with the, with the story between the parent or grandparent and child. Yeah, absolutely. When, when, uh, adult Orion says that he's just riffing, like that seems like something Peter Falk would say right. in, in, you know, the princess bride. Right. And there is that concept in the princess bride of, I mean, I think this is maybe even more in the novel, the princess bride, where it's like just the good parts, like that the grandfather yeah. skipped over the boring stuff so that he could just get to what the kid would want to hear. And, you know, that's kind of goes, goes along with that as well. Yeah, absolutely. You you can't go wrong uh, being inspired by The Princess Bride, honestly. Right. So I will go with one of my favorite movies of the last few years. Uh, that is 3,000 Years of Longing from George Miller. Um, so we're talking about that whole wraparound story where it's uh, Orion, adult Orion telling his daughter this whole story that we're watching unfold. And then we're eventually seeing, you know, the mother and the mother's mother and, you know, different uh, generations of storytelling. I, this is a movie that, like 3,000 Years of Longing, loves storytelling and, you know, understands just how important stories are, not just as entertainment, but as, uh, you know, helping us deal with things and fears and feelings and uh, letting imagination run wild and just how important that can be just for development. And 3,000 Years of Longing is a movie that just celebrates the art of storytelling so well. And I know a lot of people did not like it when it came out. Um, and I was kind of on an island, you know, singing its praises. But I think it's one of the best examples of a movie that is just so into the idea of the power of stories. And so I wanted to bring that one up. Yeah, I still haven't seen that. I remember how much you loved it and other people did not. Yeah. Um, and I never got around to watching it. I think we probably talked about it on our top 10 of the year. And, yes. uh, and Jason insulted you, my co-host, my awesome movie, your co-host, Jason <laughs> Harris, uh, insulted you for picking it, but I still mm. haven't seen it. So I can't, I can't impugn your taste on that one. What is Jason, though? Uh, yeah. <laughs> let's go to your next piece. All right. So my next piece is, I, I don't know which version of this or any particular version of this, but I thought of A Christmas Carol as, a, as, as Dark is sort of like taking Orion on a tour of the world. And he's not showing him in his, his own life, per se, but he's certainly meaning to show him like, here's how you need to appreciate things, or here's what you need to appreciate, you know, in order for you to have a better life, basically. And he kind of looks like the ghost of Christmas future with his with his shroud yeah. and, and the darkness there. Um, and I mean, you know, you could mention like the Jim Carrey version, which is CGI, uh, motion capture the, the that Robert Zemeckis directed, which is terrible. But um, I mean, any version of that story, um, just the idea of like, you know, or even could the whole thing have been a dream, right? He wakes up the next day, although it's like, what, it says, he says it's 24 hours later or something like that. And then of course you get the whole time travel thing. So it probably isn't a dream, but you don't know. And a Charlie Kaufman movie also is always going to make you wonder like, is any of this real anyway? Sure. So, you know, I think that's, that's the same thing that you have going on. Like did Scrooge 
really get visited by ghosts or did he just have a very intense dream that made him reevaluate his life? And I think Orion becomes a better person at the end of this movie after he has had his whole odyssey with Dark. So, uh, yeah, I uh, I personally like the 19, uh, I think it's 51 version with Alastair Sim is really mm-hmm. good. But, you know, you can't go wrong with A Christmas Carol. For sure, except for the Jim Carrey one. Well, yeah, actually, you totally can. There's many bad <laughs> versions of it, but there's many good ones too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, uh, that, that's a, that's a good one. And yeah, I mean, kind of anything goes when you know it's stories within stories. And again, that's a, such a Charlie Kaufman thing. But it's you know exactly what's going on here, and you can uh, you can kind of go anywhere as long as your your main character gets to learn something along the way. So uh, it's a fun way to tell a story. Um, I will go with a nightmare on Elm street, because remember, if you die in the dream, you die in real oh, life. Yeah. That was a <laughs> random thing that they said one time. <laughs> yeah. It's isn't that true a... in inception too, or is it not? Right? It isn't might that be. why they have to like always get out in inception because otherwise they could just wake up, but it was like they would die or they would be trapped in it or something like that. I think it right? might be. Was that also in that come true movie that you and I covered here on piecing? Yeah. Together? I feel like that is a common, you know, uh, <laughs> okay. device in movies about people, you know, being stuck in their dreams or something like that. Yeah, for sure. Come so true. That's a good piece right there. That was an underrated movie. It was underrated for sure. Yeah. So just a little, uh, throwaway piece there, but, uh, I, I, that line made me laugh so hard just cause it, it's such a random random movie lover thing to throw in there, you know? So, yeah, I mean, it, I, I think I, I wonder again, if it was one of those things like the whole, like, you know, suddenly there's no dark anymore, you know, the studio note of like, Oh, we have to have some, some serious stakes here, right? That the things are going to have to be in, someone's going to have to be in danger or whatever. It can't just be like weirdness for the sake of it. And then that was that throwaway line. Like, Oh no, maybe Orion will die. Oh wait, no, he won't. (laughs) No, of course not. Yeah. So what do you got for your next piece? Oh, okay. Uh, So I was thinking, thanks to the appearance of uh, Werner Herzog in this movie, that uh, should bring in a Werner Herzog film. And so my choice was Encounters at the End of the World. Um, But I feel like you could almost pick any Herzog movie, and especially the documentaries like Encounters at the End of the World, where he is kind of musing on the indifference of nature to humanity and to the creatures that live within it. And that's certainly a lot of what Orion is facing early in this film, especially as he's going through his list of fears and talking about, I mean, he has a whole bit about, you know, what is death and and how do you comprehend nothingness or whatever? I mean, it absolutely sounds like something that Werner Herzog would be talking about. And I mean, you know, when we, when Herzog shows up, he's not doing that. He's, you know, it's for the fun little bit where he narrates Dark's little movie about himself. But, you know, you think about Herzog in that, in Encounters at the End of the World, talking about the penguin that wanders off into the distance and will never be seen again or whatever. And, (laughs) and you can just imagine Orion, that's, you know, that becoming a new fear for him about like what would happen if he wandered off and was lost and never found or whatever. So I feel like he probably shouldn't watch Herzog movies because they would only add to his anxieties, but they're, they're, they've got similar perspectives on the world. That's a good one to include here for sure. Um, I I was going to look up, but I didn't get a chance to. 
I, I could feel like this bit was done before somewhere. Like another movie where there's a fake Werner Herzog film within the film. It just seems like a thing that you could just totally imagine, but I never got a chance to look for it. So I'm glad you brought an actual uh, <laughs> Werner Herzog film in. Yeah, I mean, it, so. he's had cameos on like The Simpsons and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's possible he did something similar there. Yeah, for sure. I will go with 2013's The Way, Way Back. A movie about a, a kid who goes with his family uh, to a summer home, and he ends up working at uh, the summer camp, and that's what kind of gets him out of his shell. He's super shy when he gets there, and then he's just having fun and learning to live by the end of it. And the reason I wanted to include this one specifically, and I, I haven't seen it in a long time, so maybe I'm a little wrong on this, but I remember there being, I mean, of course it's at a summer camp, I remember there being lots of montage scenes. And I feel like that's a big part of Orion and the Dark, just getting him out of his shell is to just, let's throw in some montages of them having fun and causing all kinds of crazy chaos and stuff. And uh, so I, I was just thinking of like the montage as a way to show a character, uh, you know, finally living a little bit. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I did also, I also saw that movie. I remember really not caring for it, but um, I can't. I liked it say if I recall the montages per se but yeah yeah I mean I think that's another thing that maybe is a concession to like what animated kids movies typically do is like oh we have to have these fun little montages or whatever but it is true it is a way to kind of fast forward through some character development or give a sense like oh they did all these things and and you know they they had fun and now they're at this better place or whatever that we got them too quickly so you know yeah. that does happen yeah it's a very twee movie. I imagine that's probably why you didn't like it, but I always thought it was good. But, yeah, uh, I mean, I don't remember enough to say other than like it was not for me. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So what do you got next? I got one more piece. Uh, all right. Well, I really I have a couple more, but I will go with the Diary of a Wimpy Kid, which mm, yeah. um, to go with. First of all, it has the similar sort of like sketchbooky elements to it. And uh, I mean, I think also the idea of, you know, Orion is a wimpy kid, right? The, 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 the perspective of the kid who is kind of picked on and who knows that they're not the, smart, the strongest or the bravest or whatever, and they just kind of have to muddle through. Um, you know, those books are very, very popular. And I haven't seen there's now there's like animated versions, animated movies of those on Disney Plus that I haven't seen, but I've seen some of the live action ones, including the original one. And I mean, they're not great movies. They're they're sort of cute. Uh, there's a weird cult following for the older brother in that in those movies, I believe. Um, <laughs> I but didn't know that. Yeah, it's you go on Letterboxd and look up any of those, and there's a lot of just thirst posts about. I forget the <laughs> actor's name who plays uh, Greg Greg Heffley, or maybe Greg Heffley is the wimpy kid, his brother Roderick. Wow. That's the one. Anyway, okay. that's beside the point. But I mean, I think this is this is you know it is based on a book, although it's based on like a like a children's picture book. Uh, this movie and the wimpy kid books are, I think, for a little older kids. But it's certainly going for that. Like, I'm on the cusp of adolescence and I'm awkward and I need to figure out how to interact with human beings kind of feel that those yeah. movies have as well. Right on, right on. Yeah. I, I don't know if I've ever actually seen any of those. Um, I, mean, I wouldn't I really recommend saw, it. <laughs> yeah. I probably saw the first one, like the 2010 or whatever, but um, no, the, the opening where uh, Orion 
is you know wanting to approach the girl and he's in his head he's like talking about you know what he's gonna say to her and then just walks right past her that happened in the first film i ever scored called paperboy shout out to david michael and it's just like you know a cute way of showing you know just how anxious and socially awkward the kid is and right you know who, who can't relate to that so. yeah no i certainly right from the beginning of this movie i was like oh i get this kid i really yes. feel like i know what he's doing here <laughs> exactly exactly so uh you knew that i would bring some charlie kaufman in as a puzzle piece so um let's combine a couple of charlie kaufman pieces here with of course adaptation because i don't think there's any better movie about social anxiety and, uh, you know, not being able to get out of your own head and out of your own fears. So uh, I think adaptation absolutely belongs on the list. And that novel that we randomly did an episode of Piecing It Together on, Ant Kind, um, once this, you know, goes into all of its crazy cartoonishness at the end, uh, there's a lot of that in Ant Kind, actually. Like, there are interdimensional time monsters that are eating memories and stuff. Like, it is an insane book, uh, and it gets in all kinds of weird stuff. There were other moments from throughout where I was, like, thinking about Ant Kind as well, even aside from those things. Like, uh, you know, just some of, like, the timeline stuff and the jumping back and forth between parents and children. And uh, th there's a lot of similar themes and ideas that Charlie Kaufman seems to be working in in that novel. And he was probably around in the same headspace at that time, since this was something that he had written, you know, a while ago and uh, is now just finally coming out. So I think it's all things that he was kind of trying to uh, work through at the same time, most likely. Yeah, I was holding off on mentioning a Charlie Kaufman movie because I assumed that you would bring that up. So, yeah, definitely adaptation is something I thought of and the idea of the the story and the person telling the story kind of blurring the lines between the two and, and interacting. And that made me also think of Synecdoche, New York, where it's sure. like the play and the life of the, the people who are putting on the play and appearing in the play are all kind of blurring together. And, you know, we get that right. Like at some point, you realize here, like Hypatia tells adult Orion, like, oh, what if I showed up in the story? But then at some point it goes from her being in the story to her, like actually being there. Right. And they yeah. have to send her back into the future or whatever. And you're like, well, how did that happen? When did that occur? You know, how did that transition uh, come about? And, you know, who knows? It's just that's what happens here. And so I think especially in and it's been a while since I saw Synecdoche, New York, but like at a certain point later in the film, you're like, when did these lines stop existing and we don't really know. And that's kind of the point. They were never there in the first place. Right. That's right. Exactly. Really... So what else do you got? Anything else? Well, I one more that is kind of uh, maybe redundant a little, but I did think of Nimona, which is another Netflix animated film and is another movie about uh, sort of a, a figure that everyone is afraid of who is really just misunderstood and wants to make one friend and then will, you know, help kind of be accepted more. And, mm -hmm. you know, Nimona, the main character, who's this shape-shifting monster, that's how people think of her. And she's really just this, you know, uh, friendly girl and she befriends um, the knight, the disgraced knight, and they clear his name and whatever. So, um, yeah, I mean, and I think that's another movie that is got some self-awareness and is certainly trying to deal with themes that adults can appreciate as well as be a fun story for kids. And I, I, you know, that was a fun little movie too. So I'm sure these were being produced at the same time, so it couldn't really be an influence, but uh, I did think of that as well. And another thing that 
was dumped on Netflix one time and not that many people paid attention to. Yeah, Netflix animated films, that does seem to happen a lot. Uh, Nimona, did it get the uh, Oscar nomination? Best I animated? don't think that it did, but it no. had gotten some award yeah. nominations. So um, I know people were pulling for it, but yeah, uh, yeah, I didn't get a chance to see it yet, but uh, maybe I'll catch up on it. But uh, yeah, I, I think that's a good list here. I'll read down the list and we will get into some closing thoughts. We talked about a bunch of Pixar, Monsters, Inc., Inside Out, Soul. Then we went to Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, Yes Man, Petite Maman, Interstellar, Inception, The Princess Bride, 3,000 Years of Longing, A Christmas Carol, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Come True. Encounters at the End of the World, The Way, Way Back, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Adaptation and Ant Kind, Synecdoche, New York, and Nimona. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of these uh, just kind of like weird stories that like have multiple layers to them and stuff. But that's that's what you get when you go Charlie Kaufman. So, you know, it's it kind of has to go in that direction. Uh, did you have any any closing thoughts, anything we didn't quite get into? I don't think so. I mean, I just this was a, a really enjoyable movie. And I know you're a Charlie Kaufman super fan. And I've really liked some of his stuff. And I've also been sort of not too into other things. I mean, the last movie that he did also for Netflix, I'm thinking of ending things that he wrote and directed I didn't particularly care for. So hmm. I feel like the ways in which this maybe smoothed out his Charlie Kaufman isms in order to make it a DreamWorks animated movie and make it kid friendly made it actually work better for me because yeah. I felt like I could, you know, get into the story more and follow it better and appreciate the weird touches while it was also doing its kind of straightforward kid learns a lesson story, um, which was also enjoyable. So, um, you know, it's uh, not very far into the year, but I would say this is my favorite movie of 2024 so far. Hey, there you go. I I like hearing that. Um, yeah, I, I wonder how this will do for Netflix. I mean, obviously, it's so hard to know those kind of things. Um, if it's a win, you know, hopefully that will mean more Charlie Kaufman, because as we talked about at the top of the conversation, we just don't get a lot of that. Um, we have the memory police coming, which is very exciting because with the Lily Gladstone element and Martin Scorsese as a producer, uh, hopefully that and this will kind of up his stock and he'll get to do some more stuff. And I, and I agree, like as much as I love Synecdoche, New York um, and Anomalisa, and I, and I, I really liked, uh, I'm thinking of any things. It's not my favorite of his. Um, I, Obviously, my favorite films of his are when someone else directs. And so I hope I, I don't know why his his scripts never get made anymore, but I hope we start seeing more of that. So, yeah, you know, I do, we'll too. I mean, I'm looking right now. And as of our discussion now, this is the number one movie on Netflix. But that doesn't necessarily who knows what that really even means. But <laughs> sure. it's not a bad thing. So. Sure. It's a good start, at least. So yeah, we'll see. They, they, could, they could put that in the press release when he puts another script out. Right. I mean, yeah. but you, I just the other day was reading about some show that they canceled and it was like, oh, it was in the top 10 for six weeks and then they didn't give it another season. So who knows whether that's really helpful or not. But no there it is right now. It'll, it, if nothing else, it means that more people will become aware of it because it'll pop up when they open their Netflix and they might not know about it and say, oh, maybe I'll watch this. So that's yeah. nice. That is nice. Absolutely. I think that does it for Orion in the Dark. Josh, is there another movie you watched recently that you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Yeah, well, I mean, it is a slow start to the year in terms of new movies, but uh, I did enjoy the Danish film 
the promised land with Maz Mikkelsen, which is what was Denmark's uh, Oscar submission this year. It didn't get nominated, but it's certainly the kind of thing that you could think would. It's this big historical epic. And of course, Maz Mikkelsen is great. I mean, he has a big fan base. And if you like him doing his thing where he's this kind of stoic, determined guy who, you know, gradually opens himself up a little and, you know, an hour into the movie, he has kind of a half smile and you're like, oh, he's had an emotional breakthrough. <laughs> um, you know, that's what's going on here. Um, it looks beautiful. I mean, the 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 Danish uh, Heath is this, this unforgiving landscape where his character goes to try to cultivate the land that's never been cultivated. And it's, it's a historical true story. And it has a great, great villain, this like rich landowner who wants to push him out. And he's just so vile and so reprehensible. And, you know, you're really just like, I need this guy to die the world's like most horrible death. And that's what you want out of a villain. So it's not necessarily a great movie, but for that kind of period story, it does all of the things that it's supposed to do well. And again, you know, Maz Mikkelsen, just to watch him do his thing is always appealing. So as of right now, it's in a few theaters here in Vegas. I don't know if, how long that'll last, but it'll surely be out on demand, I imagine, pretty soon. So, uh, you know, check it out. The Promised Land. Right on. Right on. Yeah, we, we covered it on the uh, trailers episode, and I would like to try to make it out to the theater for that. It looks like it would like be one that looks great in a theater. Yeah, I think so. I watched it on a screener at home, but you can tell. I mean, it's got the, those those big vistas, and the cinematography yeah. is is beautiful. So I bet it looks great on a big screen. Right on. Well, Josh, tell people where they can find you and what's going on on Awesome Movie Year. Well, we are still talking about 1939 on Awesome Movie Year. It's been a lot of fun looking at that possibly greatest year in the history of cinema, at least as many people think of it. And we've just been talking about one classic after another. So that is very cool. You can check us out at awesomemovieyear.com, wherever you listen to podcasts or our social media, Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram. Um, you can get my stuff, old old things for me at joshbellhateseverything.com and I'm on social media at joshbellhateseverything on Facebook and at Signalbleed on Twitter and on Blue Sky and on Letterboxd. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you're in Vegas, you can see me every Friday on the 11 a.m. KTNV News. What do you think Orion in the Dark would do to the brain of someone from 1939? Do you think they would just like melt like instantly? I mean, I feel like there are, I don't know if we're talking about any, but I watch old movies sometimes that are really quite complex yeah. and deal with meta <laughs> stuff and whatever. So I feel like you're not giving the viewers of 1939 quite enough credit. I don't know if they would, they would be, uh, uh, they might be amazed at the existence of like computer animation, yeah. but um, the way the story is told, I feel like they would be able to wrap their heads around it. I think they probably could. Right on. Yeah. Let, let's give them some credit for sure. Yeah. Right on. Well, Josh, as always, thanks so much for being here and look forward to getting you back again sometime. Yeah. Can't wait. All right. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation about Orion in the dark. Thanks to Josh Bell for joining me on that one. And thank you to all of you for listening I told you at the top of the show about the Patreon, about getting subscribed, about following us on social media at Piecing Pod. What I did not tell you is if you're enjoying the show, maybe drop a little five-star rating or review wherever it is that you are listening, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods. It helps make sure that more people check out the show, gets us up in those ratings, and uh, more people will get their eyeballs and ears on this show, and, uh, you know, then we get to do more fun things, and that's what we're here for, so 
maybe drop that five star. That would be nice. Also, along with the Patreon, you could check out our Vouch store. It's vouch.store slash piecing it together. We're selling some really cool products, some great coffee, some mixed drink products, uh, some really cool stuff. So, you know, check it out. There is a link in the show notes. And if you want to support the show, there's Patreon, there's that. Of course, is just keep on listening, drop those ratings, share the show, and I appreciate you all being out there. So I'm going to close this out with a piece of music like I always do, and I think a good one for this movie would be a song called Only in Dreams, which is from my third album, Head Like Fire, which is also the album with the song Back Into the Dark, which I was almost going to play, but uh, I'll go with this one instead. Uh, I've played Back Into the Dark on a bunch of episodes, so yeah, let's go with Only in Dreams, and uh, you can check this album out on all the streaming services along with all my new 24 for 2024 singles uh but i hope you enjoy the song and we will be back with more piecing it together real soon
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.